Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Brian, and today is Monday, October 8th, 2023, and this is episode 541 of the Lots Project podcast, where we're defying norms and designing freedom. Today's episode is titled Make the Most Out of Quail, Great great Protein Source, and Much More. And today I'll be talking about getting into quail and all the different things you can uh, get out of that tiny little bird and all the different uh, revenue sources you can pull out of it very easily. So uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. But first, let's grab a cup of coffee, see catch up on what's happened over the weekend and see who's hanging out in live chat. And we'll get into that topic in a little bit. How we doing? Good morning, Hunter. How's it going over on Twitch? And MSU Rifle, how we doing? How we doing this morning? Hope everyone's weekend was okay. And what is in the cup this morning? We have um, Light Peruvian. Light Peruvian today. I got out of that uh, silver bullet. I think I might have hit the Peruvian on the weekend. Uh, Friday. Friday. I think I um, I think I got... Um, I think I had to put a little bit of it in with the silver bullet, but we'll have silver bullet, um, silver bullet single packs available at SRF for sale. So if you're coming to SRF and you are interested in trying out silver bullet blend, but don't want to buy a whole pound, this will make you, um, it'll make you one uh, French press worth. So I'll have a bunch of those available on, um, uh, available on, yeah, at SRF. At SRF. I think they're going to show up in time. I think they are. And that is this coming week. If, you, uh, if you're coming to the event, I uh, am looking forward to seeing you. If you're not coming to the event, event if you are looking to get uh, virtual tickets, let me know and I can uh, get you hooked up with a link for that. So Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday. I think there's events actually going on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday this year. Uh, Thursday, we are doing work day at Toolman Tim's property here in Tennessee. So that, um, that, uh, that should be interesting. We've got a bunch of people coming and uh, a lot of projects that we can work on. So that'll be fun. See what we got going on. Uh, killing pigs with the butcher again, hanging out, uh, while he's slaughtering pigs. Hopefully everybody is okay with that. Uh, Hunter says, uh, daughter's university, they have a, uh, Tamuk quail research van what <laughs> they have a research they have a research they mow they must go out and do research in the wild with the with the quail <laughs> and uh, pip says the daily driver got rear brake calipers the truck got an oil change and checkup for the drive to srf yeah we, i saw you packing up the those um pallets i don't think anybody got back to you pip on the pallets i think that's a long way to drive them i uh, i see them free around here quite a bit uh, maybe someone in the in the crew wants them or um, at SRF, but I'm pretty sure John's got a bunch of pallets at uh, at the factory too. So I don't know if you need to haul them all the way up here, unless there is a reason you can't get rid of them down in Florida. And I'm sure we could get rid of them or uh, set them ablaze up here. So that is up to you, man. That is up to you. Good morning, uh, Phil uh, P. Nomad. How are we doing, Loco? Uh, <laughs> evening to you and uh, morning over here. So. What did we, um, what did we get, um, 
Oh, Pip says those pallets were for him. Check and see if anybody needs any. I don't think uh, that is necessary for um, for the trip up, man. I don't think so. So, um, MSU Rifle said, just heard Becky will be at SRF. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I kind of knew that <laughs> the whole time. Uh, Tim uh, Tim didn't want to mention anything till it was for sure she was uh, she was back and forth whether she was going to be able to come. And then uh, he was going to wait till she touched down in Nashville. And I believe he picked her up last night. I saw he had a live stream last night. I wasn't able to catch it. But uh, when I did, uh, when I did see the thumbnail pop up, I saw that she was on the screen. So I assume she made it. I, uh, I haven't really talked to Tim. He was traveling yesterday and we already had our plans kind of set up for the week. So. Yeah, I uh, I think she made it down all right, and she will be attending. I'm guessing both the workday and SRF. So yeah, good to see Becky. Um, when she gets they get back into town here, they aren't back quite yet. So we will see. We will see. Um, what happened this weekend? Uh, Friday, I was telling you guys that I was uh, in line to go grab a barrel and grab some other stuff. To good morning, Gingerbread Farms. Um, be, uh, grab a barrel for the composting toilet, uh, do some measuring, get that in, get uh, things lined up and try to figure out the mechanics of the urine diverter for the, the outhouse. And um, yeah, I kind of accomplished that goal. I, I was able to get the drum. I was able to get, I uh, had to excavate a little bit more. It was just a rough uh, guess because we didn't actually have the drum to slide in. Uh, had to excavate a little bit more, got that in there, got measurements and started kind of contemplating how to do the urine diverter for the toilet. And uh, I don't know if I mentioned it on here, but just keeping that moisture out of there, keeping the moisture out of the, the poo bucket, I guess, is a, is a nice way to put it it's at uh, six in the morning. But um, keeping that out of there is, is, uh, is, it makes it less smelly. It makes it uh, break down easier. And it just doesn't fill the barrel as quickly. And so I was trying to figure out some mechanics and they're uh, just the way we built it. There isn't a whole lot of space. Uh, this is kind of on the fly adjusting things. This wasn't part of the original plans that we used. So it wasn't like we didn't follow directions. This was like an after the fact trying to make it happen. And uh, so I was looking at it. I kind of had an idea in my head. I, I was trying to engineer it together got home, did some things, was talking to Corey about it. And um, we took a trip down to, we were going to go to Walmart and Lowe's and kind of walk around until something inspired us. Um, and uh, so we were walking around. Hunter says the barrel is it just one of those blue barrels. Actually, it's um, it's a 30 gallon, 30 gallon uh, plastic drum. It's black and uh, it's a little smaller than uh, smaller than the uh, normal. 55 you're going to see but yeah pretty much a it's a food grade barrel I, it doesn't have to be food grade i wouldn't think but uh yeah it's uh it just slides in there we went with a little shorter and narrower 30 gallon than um than the 55 gallon because we would have had to excavate a lot more or make the seat a lot higher if um if uh it was a 55 gallon hold on one second guys Um, and so, so I have, uh, like six inches of six to seven inches of clearance under the seat. I think going forward, the, the solution for the urine diverter is actually, we're going to just do two seats. 
um, this size or even just a little wider would work well with two toilet seats, uh, one for liquid, one for solid or yeah. And so that might be the way to go in the future. But at this point, uh, that would take a, a little bit of extra engineering. So I think we're going to, I think we figured it out. I was, I was in, uh, I was looking at possibly a sliding mechanism that went back and forth and kind of, um, changed what was under the seat. Um, but I think we're going to do a flip up model. When we were at the, at Walmart, we actually found, um, we actually found a, um, the lamp like a heat lamp for chickens we were walking around in in walmart and cory cory kind of looked at it and i looked at it and it's that the the shield for the heat lamp the silver old school uh heat lamps we we're looking at it and it looked perfect to kind of swing up under and then there's a hole where the lamp fixture goes in that we could affix a hose and uh if we could engineer somehow for that to flip up under and I was looking at the width and I said, man, I don't think there's enough space for that to work. And she said she she hadn't even seen it yet. She said, well, well, we can make it work. You can excavate out that barrel a little bit more. And I was like, oh, I can. <laughs> but we bought it. We figured we'd go down there and check it out. We went out to the property and um, and it'll work. I think I think it'll work. It'll take a little bit more, um, a little bit more engine. But uh, shortly after so you're coming out to the work day and uh yeah well we'll just have to deal with it at that point and figure it out maybe that first drum won't be quite as separate as i want but um yeah we'll figure it out it won't be bad it won't be bad it's uh it's installed we do have pine sh pine shavings out there got a storage container for the for the extra pine shavings uh got the um got the um got the pine shavings in the bottom of the drum, uh, it's ready. It's ready to go. And if I had had any uh, shit tickets with me, I would have probably christened the damn thing. But uh, man, I, that wasn't going to be uh, that wasn't going to be happening. I was not prepared to uh, to to lay the first lay the first deposit in the outhouse. But uh, you know, soon enough, soon enough, it will happen. Uh, Pip says MacGyverism at its finest. Yeah. Uh, well. My idea, if that doesn't work, the only other idea I think is going to work is actually a sliding mechanism. And we're going to use some sort of like uh, oil change pan, some like six inch deep pan that'll slide back and forth. Corey, Corey and uh, and I, I agree with her that the less mechanics, the easier in case of um, accidental discharge or things of that nature. Uh, that you're, I'm not going to really want to be cleaning up any extra mechanics if I can help it. So I'm going to kind of go away from that, but, uh, this flipping little metal, metal, um, cone should work fairly well. Um, but yeah, I think going forward, the design change is going to end up being two, two seats, two seats for uh, one for liquid, one for solid. So that's kind of the plan there. That's kind of the plan there. Um, Oh, oh, James, I was ready. It wasn't that I wasn't ready. I can like, uh, I mean, on command, but I didn't have any, uh, I didn't have any way to clean myself up at the moment. So it wasn't going to happen. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, Corey and I saw something pretty cool. Uh, <coughs> over the weekend, we we're walking the dogs 
And so where we walk the dogs here, we walk down this road. Um, I don't know, like 15 minutes down the road. I don't even know how far it is. But uh, we walk down this road and it's it's like houses, 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 trailers, houses, trailers, houses. And then we get to a long stretch where there's nothing. It's um, I've actually looked up the property because we're interested in like the back corner of it. But uh, it's like 178 acres, 100 and some acres, um, both sides of the road. And it's kind of got this um, weird driveway that goes into it. It looks like somebody might have driven in there at one point, but it's kind of overgrown. But the trees are all knocked down. But there's a there's a line of pine trees along the road. We walk the dogs down. I kind of look over there every day. Because I, I think you could pull a trailer in there. You could set it. It'd be really in- easy access for, uh, for some things that we'd be interested in doing. But um, the other day we were walking. I think it was Saturday. We were walking down. I'm walking along and Corey walks Walter and Clyde in front of me and I have Norman in, in, uh, in the back position. And so we're walking along and I'm looking over at the trees and all of a sudden I see the outline of antlers. I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Like li- just on the other side of the trees and not little, uh, not little first year button buck antlers, like big, wide, tall, um, probably eight to 10 point. And I thought, like, my eyes aren't the best. Uh, As you get older, you know, you get a little, little less, um, less able to see. And I'm looking, and I'm like, is that a, is that a deer? That close? Just, and he was bedded down, just laying there. And I'm looking, and he turns his head a little bit. I'm like, holy shit! And I said, hey, Corey, there's a huge deer laying right there. (coughs) She automatically thinks that it's laying in the ditch, like somebody hit it. So she's looking in the ditch for the deer. I said, no, behind the trees in the field. And she just turns her head. We're walking along with the dogs. And this thing's probably, I don't know, 15, 20 feet, maybe, maybe, maybe 50 feet at the most from us. And he's just watching us walk by and she sees it. And I was like, hold on, I got to try to get a picture of this. There's no way if we stop, he's going to hang out. And so I stop and he kind of looks and he perks up and he's turning his head and he's looking around. And he stands up and I'm trying to get picture of him video through the trees and my phone would only focus on the trees and he kind of took off. But I was like, holy crap, for Tennessee, for the deer I've seen in Tennessee, this was enormous. It was an enormous deer. It had a had a really nice rack on it, nice and wide and super tall. The tines were absolutely enormous on it. Um, Yeah, that was pretty cool. And uh, so then every time we've walked by since we're looking for the deer and I'm like, yeah, it ain't going to happen. We hear it all the time. Uh, there's a bunch of doe and uh, that buck. Now I thought it only was doe, doe and a couple fawns that were around uh, the area, but man, he's a big boy. He is a big boy. So anybody got a Tennessee hunting license. I know who owns that property and uh, <laughs> he is, he, he would definitely be a nice deer to put on the wall for sure. So Anyway, that's kind of what we got. Um, oh, other than that, we uh, we we picked up a couple of a uh, couple of slabs of dead deadfall uh, out at the property and got those chopped up because we had our first couple fires uh, in the in the morning in the in the trailer in the cubic mini wood stove. We had uh, had a fire it up the other morning. It was um, forty low forties, and then yesterday I think it was in the thirties in the high thirties. So we fired up a couple of short fires in the cubic mini and it uh, got it nice and toasty in here and it was not bad. So, uh, 
Yeah, no 30-pointer on that. No 30-pointer. <laughs> James. Anyway, yeah, we split up a bunch of wood from uh, out at Delinquent's Gully, and I think it's going to work all right. Uh, it was much easier to cut to length with the chainsaw, ch cut it to cut it to six to eight inches with the chainsaw, and then split it with my little hatchet instead of trying to cut up pre-split wood with the reciprocating saw. 100% easier. So that'll be nice. That'll be nice to do. Um. Yeah, I don't know about the 30-point buck in Michigan. Mm -mm. I don't know all about it. I won't know anything about it. Kyle says it's 43 there right now. Yeah, right now we're 49. I think 49 at the moment. So, um, <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Loco. <laughs> dear God, dear, dear. Oh, anyway, we're uh, well past 15. Let's get rolling into the topic of the day. We're going to be talking about quail. I um, I really didn't have a sponsor or anything that, uh, that really fit into quail. I do have a link in the video description and the audio description for, um, for the incubator and the humidity kit that I used for the quail and also a link to product reviews at the site. If you want to check out that list of product reviews, it's everything from electronics to farm equipment to, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it runs the gamut. Sure, it's it's stuff that I use in my daily life that I that I would buy again, and I've done a little review, at possibly YouTube video, but always Amazon links. And whenever you hit those Amazon links, you you help support the Lots Project with a little bit of a kickback from Amazon Associates. So check it out, check it out. Uh, the Humidikit uh, that I used just to mention that real quick. I don't think I mentioned it in the, let me see here. Yeah. I didn't, didn't mention it in my notes, but uh, that is a really cool little item. If you're into reptiles, if you have anything that you need to keep humid uh, at a constant, I used it a lot for incubators and hatching boxes. It's fantastic. Basically it's a one gallon uh, or one liter water jug that goes into a base that pre-warms the water. It's got a humidistat on it. It turns on and off and fogs into the area that you want to control the humidity. And it turns on and off and uh, runs with a fan and blows it in there and keeps a constant monitor on that, um, on the on the humidity in there. So you set it, it's uh, plus or minus like 1% humidity. So a lot of great control. It is kind of spendy. It's up over $100, but man, it is a lifesaver. And if you're hatching a lot of eggs or you have expensive um, expensive reptiles that need a really good, uh, really consistent humidity, this thing is fantastic. So check that out. That is in the video review or in the in the write-up about the, about the, um, about the incubator. That's it. That's it because that's what I used it with. All right, well, let's get to quail. Quail, I raised Coturnix quail. I think we did it for probably a year or more. Um, it was kind of towards the tail end of, uh, of our time at the farm. I had, uh, I had some really good customers. I had some really quality uh, large-scale customers with the quail, and then I also had quite a few one-offs. And I also will uh, tell you what I did with... Um, 
with the day old quail and and how I might have hurt myself in the in the process. But anyway, Coternix quail, they're the jumbo Japanese quail. They they grow super fast. They're very good meat. I, I really enjoyed the taste of the meat. They uh, I would grow them out in six to seven weeks. They were they were really plump and large. If if I had a lot of roosters, they would even get called a little bit before that. Um, you can raise a ton of them in a small space. If you raise uh, a few of them, I don't think your neighbors are going to mind. They Hey, how we? Huh, and as we come back, the dog pukes on the floor. That's really cool. Really cool. Um, nothing but distractions going on this morning for sure. Uh, anyway, anyway, uh, we had uh, where was I? Quail, Coternix quail. Yeah, they um, <laughs> they're fantastic. If you're raising a few of them, they have this uh, interesting little crow. If you are raising a lot of them and you're raising them enclosed, it can be ear piercing and loud. Uh, at the peak of our quail production, I probably have 500 quail in my um, 500 quail in my garage, and uh, the majority of those were growouts. And so when they were getting of age, if I had 30 or 40 uh, crows in, or uh, 30 or 40 males in the garage and they all started crowing, which they would when you'd come in to feed them or water them or anything into the garage, they'd all get spooked and start crowing. Holy crap. It would just be absolutely ear piercing to the point where a lot of the times if I was going in to do chores in there, I would end up wearing earplugs because it was it was that loud. Um, they were, uh, <laughs> laser roosters. Hunter says laser roosters, uh, and he kind of misses it. Yeah, it was, it was a really weird, it was like a cuckoo, uh, crow more than anything. And they would start battling back and forth then, but yes, I will get back to quail now. Um, let's see, getting the most out of it. I mean, the biggest thing you're going to raise quail for, especially if you're just doing it for yourself, is eggs and protein, eggs and meat. Uh, eggs, they they lay a ton, a ton, absolute ton of eggs. A lot of the times, uh, the my coternix, my females would lay more than one egg a day. And you're like, well, what are you talking about? Well, I had um, I had them set up in battery cages originally. So battery cages are just stacked uh, bulk cages for small birds. And the way it set up, um, the way it was set up would be three small cages across the top. They shared a bulk feeder. They each had a watering cup for each cage. But then there was there was four. I think on that that setup there was four hens and a rooster for each cage the the eggs would roll out to the front which was nice it kept them clean it kept them uh from breaking them they would they would the 
the floor of the cage was slanted and it would roll to the front. But there were some days I would come out and there would be six eggs. There would be five eggs. I only have four hens in there. There would be six, four, five eggs at a time consistently every day. So that meant one of the hens probably rotating through were laying two eggs in one day. Um, at the point where I was in full swing, I was collecting more than once and I had them in bulk cages. So you really couldn't tell, couldn't tell individually, but in the beginning, when I was raising them separated out breeders and trying to do a little breeding stock, they, um, definitely were, were some of them were laying more than one egg a day. So yes, they're smaller. Yes. It's probably, I think we ended up at three, two to three eggs per chicken egg, maybe three to four, depending on how old your birds are and how big their eggs are. They do seem to, the eggs seem to get bigger as they get older, just like chickens, <coughs> but a significant amount of eggs. I would say they average one a day, if not just a little under uh, year round. And the greatest part about them is mine. Actually, I always said six weeks. I always said six weeks on the females. Um, for laying eggs, I said six weeks on the males for calling and the female calls for calling at six weeks. They routinely would start laying at four weeks. These birds at four weeks old were popping out their first eggs. That's incredible turnaround, guys. They were 21 days, 21 days, I believe, on the incubator cycle. I didn't look it up. Uh, I apologize, but I think it was like if you had fertile eggs, you were seven weeks away from getting eggs, getting new eggs. I mean, that's fast. That is a fast turnaround. You're looking at chickens. You're looking at four to six months uh, plus another over uh, just about a month to incubate them. You're uh, you're rolling quick on quail and uh, for the size and the work, you can keep a bunch in a little spot and uh, man, get you get those eggs quick. Uh, you all makes turnaround on a bird being full size, full size being mm, hauled out. I would say eight to twelve ounces on the the jumbo Kerturnix. If you get some really really good bloodlines and you get some really big birds, and maybe you let them grow out a, a couple weeks longer, I have seen people get uh, uh, one pound birds called uh, and cleaned. I don't think I ever got close to that. I was I was pushing up over the 12, 13 ounces cleaned um, when I when I had my good um, <laughs> when I got a good when I got a good batch of large birds. Uh, so that's that's uh, the first thing you're going to want to use out of quail. Man, run them for eating and eggs for for protein for small bird protein and for eggs they were fantastic uh when i had these quail i had a long-term plan i wanted to sell eggs and i want to sell meat i was wondering how i was going to do that we had gone down the road of chickens we knew all the regulations with chicken eggs we knew um hunter says what never seen them that big yes i couldn't uh, i couldn't believe it I couldn't believe it. I uh, I actually was in a quail group and doing some research and somebody had them. They were, they had bred them out for 40 years. I was actually supposed to, um, supposed to be getting eggs from them and uh, it, things went a little sideways and uh, yeah, 
it was a it was a farm down in Louisiana. I, I can uh, talk about that further personally, one on one with people. I don't want to disparage this guy, but uh, yeah, he had done a lot of research for a long, long time and had a had a uh, his own line of birds that uh, that topped out in that uh, dressed fourteen to sixteen ounces. So yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, never, never got my hands on them, but, uh, I was doing pretty good. I thought, I thought dressed out at that, uh, 10 ounces was kind of my target, um, where I wanted to be in the end. But anyway, when I had gone through all the motions of, um, of selling chicken, selling processed meat, selling eggs, and in the state of Minnesota, it was pretty, pretty, um, Man, the regulations sucked. <laughs> Let me tell you this: working around them was was it was it, it was doable. Uh, the chickens was uh, you had to jump through hoops. With the quail, I I had um, I had already come to the conclusion that the poultry was going to be for me, or I was going to go into the to the pet food market again. I, I've talked about that a lot with rabbits and chickens. Uh, pet food, pet food market, raw pet food market is great to sell into because the regulations are so lax, if any. Um, and then when you get into that market with people, your name gets spread around. You just have to find those couple, couple clients that really like you and are willing to understand that you have enough for them that they can spread the word. That was one thing I did run into at some points was that they wanted to hold on to you because they, um, it was hard to find, it was hard to find quality suppliers for, for the raw dog food. Um, so that was my MO going into the quail. I wanted to do that. I was hoping to be able to sell, um, human grade from the farm, just like I could with chickens, <coughs> excuse me. Our rules in Minnesota, Minnesota was if you processed it on the farm, you could sell it from the farm. So if I did it myself, I didn't need inspection. Someone could come and purchase it from me at the farm. I couldn't take it off the farm and sell it anywhere. Um, and so we were 90 miles out of the out of the major metropolitan. So it was a long drive for people to come. It was a long drive for people to come and buy chicken by turkey it was um it was a struggle back and forth where the juice was worth the squeeze with getting things processed and traveling them i plan to sell quail uh, just from the farm i plan to stockpile our refrigerator with it or our freezer with it um the eggs were great but i was on the hunt for raw dog food customers raw cat food customers um uh, rewilder's life says to do that in michigan you have to do a csa yeah interesting and so fun fun states are uh states are great aren't they um the fact that i could hand it to you and not sell it to you and it's perfectly fine or you know now we exchange a couple dollars for it and all of a sudden it's bad and uh gonna kill you i don't know yeah the state's gonna state anyway that was my goal with the quail um my setup was I wanted to sell eggs to to raw pet food customers. Quail eggs are very popular in that in that world because they're easy to just drop into the bowl. Uh, you don't need to half the time you don't need to crack it. The dogs uh, the shells are kind of brittle, and the dogs will just chomp them up. And the egg shells are good for them. Um, 
so so selling them bulk into um <laughs> yeah the dollars the dollars um <laughs> so <laughs> selling the eggs into the raw raw dog food market shouldn't have been hard uh and then the meat i was thinking that uh it's a good size it's a good size hole it's a good size process uh dogs are into birds they like the chicken i was thinking it would be okay man was i right i i started poking around i had an idea that um you know we had a couple raw dog food processors close like the um the the processors that are they're selling uh pre-ground tube uh raw dog food so not not they're not selling animals straight from the farm they're selling tubes of pre-ground raw dog food and mixes of different animals and different proteins and things like that so um <laughs> so I started reaching out to them. I was like, hey, I, I think I'm going to have a bunch of eggs. I think I'm going to have a bunch of quail. And uh, man, somebody wrote back and we we started a really good relationship. He was buying dozens and dozens of eggs for me a week. Uh, and I was pumping out all these eggs. I was also interested in selling day old chicks. So man, I, I ramped up my stock. I had, I was getting, I think in the beginning, um, what were we at? Like, uh, a 10 dozen eggs a day, eight dozen eggs a day. I was saving some for my client that was buying the bulk eggs. I was hatching others. I put, uh, eggs or ads on Craigslist and Facebook selling day old quail, uh, selling, um, selling, day olds to get people started just like i did when i bought mine to get started i found day old quail through the mail i think it was one of two places that was selling the day olds through the mail they are super fragile i don't know if they're still open i don't know if they're still shipping this was uh was quite a few years ago but i found some place that was selling day old quail other than that, I didn't see anybody selling them. I didn't see them selling them locally. I didn't see them selling them uh, on Facebook or Craigslist. I said, okay, well, there's a there's an opening here. There's a market here. So I started putting out ads as I was selling these eggs. As I was getting my incubator rolling, I put out ads to sell day-old quail. And the response was absolutely fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, waiting list. I had a waiting list every day. And the way I managed this is, and the reason I had to manage it was I would have a couple hundred eggs, quail eggs in the, in the incubator. I sold them as day old hatch. Quail. I, I hatched them. Hatch rate were so all over the place, even with uh, a, a nice cabinet incubator with the humidicate. Um, I don't know if it was fertility issues. I don't know if it was, um, if it was just uh, the sensitivity of the birds, but my hatch rate was all over the place. It was high, it was low. I didn't come to the conclusion that it was something I was doing. I, I came to the conclusion that they're just extremely hard to hatch. I calculated that into my numbers. And so if I had 200 eggs in there, I, I, would, I would let my first, my next 100 day old quail customers people are buying 50 people are buying 20 i would add up 100 for this week 
I would say to the next 50, I said, hey, I might have quail for you. I might not. Uh, and then I would go down the list and let people know. I kept a running list of uh, in order of what people wanted. And I was hatching quail once a week. Every week we're hatching quail. Um, I ran my incubator for a year and a half straight between chickens, quail, uh, and guineas. I think we did some geese. But that thing ran 24-7 for that long, and it was pumping out quail every week. Uh, I would run through and sell to the customers that I would hatch out. Now, they were very hard to hatch. They were also very fragile as baby keats. When they came out, they would go in just like a chicken brooder. Um, a bunch of these little little things, they're so tiny. Uh, yeah, like if, you can, if you're watching the screen, they're like this big. <laughs> they were very tiny. They would get in there. Uh, they would kill themselves in the water. They would get in the water. They would drown. They would get in the water. They would get cold. They would get under the pile of, of uh, other birds. They, they would die just randomly. So I counted for that in my, in my uh, model. And when the people would come to pick them up, I would give them a couple extra just because, um, man, they would just die randomly. It was, they were kind of like the turkeys. You heard me talk about turkeys. You've heard other people talk about turkeys that they were, um, they would try to kill themselves in every single way until they were six weeks old and then you couldn't kill them. Uh, the quail were similar, uh, as Keats, they were super fragile. They would get a little older and man, they were the toughest birds I ever, I ever had. Um, turkeys may be a little tougher, but these birds, they were super mean and super, uh, super aggressive and tough as nails. Lots of times you would see them, they would pick, they would pick at each other like chickens, but more extreme. Like you would see a bird with like half its head missing and he's just like chilling in the cage, living his life. Uh, just open exposed brain. It was, it was unreal. Uh, but anyway, I would keep a running total, running list of customers that were buying quail. I uh, I would contact them. I would pick them up. I'd sell them day old. That was a very, very lucrative market. Uh, I realized that I, if I held on to some of these, I could sell them for more. It was the same model that I was doing with the chickens. Um, you know, the longer you raise them, the more expensive they are. The more, more you could sell them for, I should say. Um quail were even better than the chickens because they were only six weeks to full grown and they didn't eat that much they had to eat kind of specialized food they had to eat higher protein food you had to supplement their food um, to get the protein up but they didn't eat very much of it so when you did the calculations on on how much food they were con consuming it was very inexpensive to feed them and then you could charge a significant amount of more. When you could sell uh, an adult female that was laying eggs at four weeks and you only had like 78 cents into her um, and, you know, you hatched your own egg, you you laid your own, your, uh, you collected the egg, you hatched it, you raised it, and you only had, you know, a buck into it. You could sell them for eight bucks a piece. It was significant. It was a significant. Um, it was worth the, 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 the time. So I would raise, I would sell the, the day old chicks. I would sell eggs for eating and hatching. Um, if anybody wanted to buy them, they were the same eggs. This was the greatest part. I sold bulk eggs to a raw dog food customer who sold them straight out of the packages. Um, like uh, just, I packaged them and gave them to him. There were two dozen in a, in a single egg carton. 
uh, and he would just sell them on the side. He also used them in his pre-ground mix. He uh, he also um, he also we bought he bought birds at one point and it didn't work out. I couldn't produce enough birds for him to make the grind worth it. He had to <coughs> excuse me. He did these big bulk batches of grinds. And I couldn't supply enough consistently to have him make a new grind with quail in it. But it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Um, so the eggs were all the same. They were eating eggs. They were uh, hatching eggs. And um, I, I saved them to hatch for myself. So I was getting rid of all these eggs. I realized if I had I had this demand for the eggs, I had to raise more birds. I had got more birds. I, I kept going until I... I wasn't sold out of eggs. So that was kind of the egg. Um, that was kind of the egg adventure with that. Uh, sold day olds. Like I said, I sold day olds for uh, people that wanted to raise them. And then I realized in this pet food market, as I was trying to get into, and I was talking to my pet food customer and uh, I started selling uh, older birds for raw, but I got into I got into talking to reptile people. I got into talking to reptile owners. I got into talking to um, to cat owners. And they wanted these little birds. They wanted these called little birds. They wanted them day old. They wanted them a week old. And I started keeping track of the size, the weights at different ages. I got myself a three-stage incubator grow-out brooder from GCF. Uh, this thing was pretty cool. It was, uh, I think it was three feet by three feet, three feet by three feet square. And it had three cages mounted on top of each other. And originally the way it worked was um, it had a heat lamp in the top, a heater. It wasn't a lamp. Eh. Yeah, well, it lit up, but it had a light that drew them to the heat, but there was a heat rail in the back. Uh, they also sold replacement heat rails. So I just installed one on the next level. Basically, the way it was supposed to work is you hatched enough that you stay, kept them in the top level for um, until they didn't need heat. And then you graduated them down to the bottom and you split them into the two bottom grow out cages. I was going through enough that I was um, growing them out in the top cage. And then when I would move them to the bottom, I would split them and call half and raise half. And then it would go through the cycle. They were really cool. Um, it was a really cool setup and it made managing them easy. I knew how old each batch of birds were. I, I kept tags that moved along with the birds as they moved. Uh, every week, it was just a, um, a matter of moving them, cleaning the cages, cleaning the poop trays things like that. But uh, it really made it easy to to run the different size birds. As I talked to the customers, and they all wanted different size. So my cat customers wanted like two, three week old birds that were, you know, like 20 ounces, or not 20 ounces, 20 grams, or like, I gave them different sizes, I showed them different sizes. They said, Oh, my cat would love this. They love these birds um, because they were small enough. They couldn't buy a whole chicken. They couldn't buy, nobody was selling, even chicks, even day-old chicks or a little older uh, were bigger than these quail grown out a little bit. 
So these people were very interested in it. Uh, snake owners, reptile owners wanting that smaller bird that was a whole bird that wasn't um, wasn't processed, wasn't cut up. It was there was a nice niche market there for it. Um, so I sold all of those. I marketed those. I talked to talked to the different people, my customers that came. I asked if they had other friends. Uh, I reached out to pet stores. Uh, I could have had an outlet for eggs at the pet stores, but as I was shutting things down, uh, it just it never. I never pursued it uh, with the local pet stores. But those are uh, where those are places that you can you can sell those um, smaller culls. One of the things that I had to come up with when I talked to these people, I was um, when you process a quail, you basically you snip its head off with scissors. And uh, you can do it with your hands. I did it with scissors just to save on my hands. I was doing a bunch of them. But it's a super quick, easy process. Um, I was talking to the raw food customers that wanted whole birds. And I said, okay, well, um, is headless okay? A lot of them were hesitant because their their animals didn't want it dead. They were they They wanted it dead. The, an the animal they were feeding wanted it to look whole. Uh, so frozen, thawed, but, you know, anatomically correct. It wasn't missing its head. It wasn't missing its wings. It had its feathers. And so I thought to myself, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to kill these birds? How am I going to call these birds? And you read, you can just snap. You can, instead of the scissors, you can just push their head over with your thumb. Um, they're fragile birds. I wasn't really down for that. I didn't really want to do that. Um, and so I, I made myself up a little gas chamber. Yeah, <laughs> gas, a CO chamber. Uh, just just kind of MacGyvered it out of a um, butcher box type styrofoam container that, uh, that the, the order through mail frozen stuff comes in. I took one of those with some hoses and a CO bottle and some uh, a regulator. Worked fantastic. Worked fantastic. They looked they looked as good as new. Basically, I would get orders for the size of the bird that they wanted. I would go, I would find those birds in my brooder where they were. I would throw them into the thing, turn the gas on. They would bounce around for a little bit and then nothing. And I would open it up and they had all just gone to sleep. So throw them in the freezer in the bags and away they went. Um, I mentioned when you process them, cutting the heads off, cutting the wings off, um, and, uh, and open, just calling them like a, uh, their, their feathers peel off. As I was looking at all this, I kept throwing the parts in the compost. I was like, what am I doing? The heads, the heads of the quail, little tiny full grown head, uh, quail heads. When I clipped them off, they went into, um, they went into a, a bag. I sold those things for a dime a piece. It was like throwing dimes into the bag. Uh, the The animals loved them. I my, that was one of the better selling products. Chicken heads also, rabbit heads also, guys. Uh, don't throw away. <laughs> hey, Canadian Farmstead. Good morning. How are we doing? Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Canadian Thanksgiving and happy. Columbus Day and Indigenous Peoples Day and whatever we call all of the days now. Uh, I think the banks and the post offices are closed, just making people's lives a pain in the ass. 
Um, anyway, heads. Heads are great, guys, for raw pup food customers. The brain uh, is very good for the animal. The skull bone is very good for the animal. And there's a lot of um, nutrients and things in the eyes, the tongue, all of that of, the, of a larger animal. Same thing with a, with a bird, even the small bird. Uh, and the cat. Cats love them as treats. Small dogs love them as treats. So consider that. Don't throw the heads away. Um, let me see what else is on my list for, uh, let's see, eggs, eating eggs, hatching eggs, um, the day old all the way through adult at any stage, depending on what your customers want. And um, everything from whole bird feathers on, like it's still alive. It's just not anymore all the way down to process like human consumption. And my customers all knew that they could eat what they what they got sent. If they had processed birds, I processed them the same as I would for me, as I would for the pets. So it was a, um, hey, you're buying pet food, but man, <laughs> if you want to eat it, it's fine. It is definitely fine. Um, so yes, everywhere from baby uh, day old all the way through uh, adult. Let me see else. Dog, raw dog food hold whole and processed uh, I talked about the the CO chamber I made um, and yeah sold all the way for processing and the manure manure let me uh, let me let me check you check you on the manure quail produce a ton a ton of manure uh, for a little bird they crap a ton. It is super hot manure. It is super high in, in nitrogen. It is, uh, if you put it on your garden, you'll burn your plants faster than you will with, with uh, chicken poop. It needs to be processed. It's smelly. <coughs> You're going to want to keep up with it. If you have them enclosed, if you have them in a garage like I did, you're really going to want to figure out how often you're going to have to change it and do it sooner than that. Uh, don't wait that long. The, the, the cages I had, I was saying they were battery cages. They sat uh, stacked on top of each other. They had pull-out trays underneath each can. I ended up using um, brown paper, uh, brown uh, craft paper, and I would cut them to size. I used feed bags for a while, cut them to size of the pan. Basically, they pooped on the, the sheet. I would pull the pan out and flip the flipped the paper into a tote. And then I went down and made huge compost piles of this, uh, of this quail poop. If I had had more pine chips around, if I had done it again, if I do it again in the future, I need to mix some carbon with it. I was making piles of, um, of quail poop with uh, just some, some brown paper in it. It was not composting down. It was just huge piles of quail poop. In hindsight, if I had mixed it in with my chicken, uh, in with my chicken bedding, uh, clean outs, if I had um, mixed it in with pine chips along the way, I think it would have broke down a lot quicker, uh, a lot faster. Um, it's uh, gingerbread says actually, when I was a teenager and worked at grocery store, they bought mostly canned dog food because it was cheaper than uh, canned soup. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely have heard the stories of uh, 
of people on fixed income, elderly buying dog food because it's cheaper and uh, basically the same. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there's some some other things I might eat before that. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, the manure, you're going to want to figure out a plan for that. If you're going to rain a significant amount of birds, it is definitely doable. And um, with how high of a nitrogen content it is, if you can get a system down to where you're getting it processed, you're getting it broke down into compost, it is fantastic compost. And you should be able to get rid of that uh, pretty easily, whether you are selling it or uh, just giving it away. Making compost tea out of it. Anything you can do with like a chicken chicken poop compost, you would be able to do with quail. It'd just be a little bit higher amped up on the nitrogen side. So that is, uh, that's kind of my list, guys. I um, hit it one more time here. Just eggs for both eating and hatching. Uh, sell both of those. Uh, eat them yourselves. I went down. Uh, one thing I did uh, want to do, I never really did, we tried uh, the pickled quail eggs. They were fantastic. Uh, find found just a stock recipe online. Uh, hard boiled some some quail eggs, dropped them in jar. It it sits. It's quick. They have to be refrigerated though. Uh, we did not can them. We wanted to sell the sell pickled quail eggs at the at the farmers market or from our place. Had so many eggs. We could have done um, we could have done a ton. We would uh, hard boil them in the Instapot. It worked great. It was the best best method for the, the hard boiling quail eggs we found. But when we looked into selling the pickled quail eggs, it um, it was a nightmare. It was another nightmare of regulations and red tape, especially because they had to be refrigerated and and uh, non food safe. Or you know, it was it was a mess. I went down the line of thinking that if I could sell the brine or sell the brine premix, just add water and quail eggs and sell, sell the quail eggs, that it could be a, it could have been a winner. I think it could have been. I think it really could have been at that point, um, finding, figuring out the logistics of that. We ran into the end of um, fall. We ran into the end of market season. It doesn't last that long in Minnesota. We were going to do it the next year. And I ended up uh, shutting down the quail operation before the next spring. And then we didn't end up doing the farmer's market anyway. But um, yes, it was, <laughs> it, was uh, it was a good idea. It was, I think, there would have been a lot of jumping through hoops and, and figuring out the, the logistics of not having to follow what they wanted. I think it would have been like a dry mix of um, a dry mix of the ingredients uh, instructions on how to make the brine and uh, sell the eggs and instructions on how to hard boil them. It would have been a mess, but uh, they were fantastic. Canadian Farm Sense says pickled quail eggs are fantastic. Uh, uh, he stopped doing quail as he preferred larger eggs. Yeah. Yeah, they are small. It is definitely a niche thing and you got to kind of like it. They, uh, yeah, I, I think for people that can't have chickens, you could easily pull off quail and get a, a, a sustainable, um, oh, I guess you have to, I couldn't, I, the, the biggest issue I ran into quail was the feed. 
the feed was tough. And as a sustainable um, protein source, chickens you can let go free range. It's not ideal. It's not optimal. And they can make it through. Uh, they're not going to lay the best. Quail, quail you got to take care of. For sure, you got to take care of. It's not something that you're preparing for long-term uh, sustainable pr production of eggs. If shit went sideways, man, I could make it work with my chickens. I could make it work with rabbits. The protein content of the food feed you need for the quail makes it really difficult to make them a long-term sustainable without a feed input. Have people done it? I'm sure they have. I think if you get something less um, like a Bob White or uh, some of the non-jumbo um, grow-out meat, meat bird, um, the coturnics are the equivalent. Yep, they were uh they were um grow out they're they're just grow out meat birds. Uh Canadian Farm says he was able to regularly sell baby quail during COVID, was hatching my own. Yeah, uh I sold a shit ton and I was gonna mention that it's in my notes to mention and uh I was gonna wrap up with it here. I I actually sold myself out of the market. Yeah, I could have competed, let's say. But as I was as I was deciding to ramp things down, I was looking at my ads. Uh, my ads had kind of died off. Um, it, they my sales kind of slowed off, and I was kind of looking on Craigslist. I was looking on Facebook, and all my customers were selling quail. <laughs> there were multiple ads from when I started, and uh, in a year or a little more. I had uh, I had sold enough baby quail and hatching quail eggs and taught enough people how to do this in my local area that the there were multiple ads now on Craigslist and when I got out of quail when I got out um, when I got out of it I actually sold all my equipment to one of my previous customers who had, was ramping up so there's another little business model for you. You can uh, you can buy the equipment, you can start it up, you can populate the area, and as soon as the populate the the area is saturated with the birds, you sell all your equipment to somebody that's starting up. So there you go. Get the most out of your quail. It's more than just a protein source. Um, yeah. So that's about it. We can wrap up here. Uh, let's hit that list one more time. Eating and hatching eggs a day old live all the way through six week old, whether they are hens laying at the four weeks to six weeks that the coturnics do or uh, full grown for them to call. You can do processed birds for eating. You can do any age birds from day old all the way to uh, adult and the eggs into the raw pet food market and getting that manure uh, processing into compost and sell that. It is a, it's a wide open, um, it's a wide open space in a lot of areas that it's just not saturated. There's not a lot of availability. So look around. If uh, it's just something you want to get into, you can look around and see if you can supplement that with selling off things. That's always the way I suggest to do it. If you're going to raise it for yourself, raise a little extra and take a little bit of the financial, bur financial burden off yourself. 
All right, guys. Um, I think that's going to wrap it up. I'm going to start to get out of here tomorrow. Uh, the episode is titled "A Plan for Raw Land: My Vision and Tim's Vision for Delinquents Gully." What we have planned going out there, um, the kind of vision I have for the property, the vision he has for the property, and how it's going to work together, and where we're at, and what we have coming up with that. So that should be a fun episode. If you don't know what Delinquents Gully is or who Toolman Tim is, you should check him out on YouTube and Facebook and all the things. Search just uh, Toolman Tim's Workshop, just like uh, Toolman Tim on Home Improvement, that old show from the 90s. Toolman Tim's Workshop, check him out. You can find him on YouTube and Facebook, like I said. And I also have a playlist for Delinquents Gully and all the work and uh, little video updates I'm doing from there. So check it out. Check it out. It, it is Tim's property down here in Tennessee that I'm... Uh, doing some work on kind of pseudo managing it at this point. And uh, we're going to try to make some money off of the property while he's up in Canada. So anyway, let's, uh, let's wrap it up here and we will see you tomorrow. But if you'd like to participate in those live comments, you can always join the live recording Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Central on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. If you'd enjoy the show, please consider sharing it with others. You can find a post about the episode along with links to all my social media services I offer, recommended products and companies I'm affiliated with at thelotsproject.com. Be sure to listen on one of your favorite podcasts, 2.0 Value for Value podcast players like Podverse or Fountain.fm. Make it a great day, guys. It's Monday. Enjoy your Columbus Day, Indigenous Peoples Day, Canadian Thanksgiving Day. Uh, yeah, it's Monday. Hope you don't have a case of the Mondays. We'll catch you tomorrow.